right, welcome everyone to the X Factor Files podcast. I'm Daryl. I'm Philip, and we are joined by a very special guest today. We have Chad on the podcast. Hey, Chad. Hey, guys. It's so good to see you. So, Chad is from Gray Malkin Lane, a fantastic podcast that you all should check out. Hopefully, you already have, but if you haven't, you need to check it out. It is reviewing. Well, Chad, how about you give it your own spiel? Because I feel I would not do it as perfectly. Gray Malkin Lane is a podcast designed to be a safe space for queer people to review and discuss the original X-Men comics from the 1960s. But we do professional interviews every week uh, uh, where we are looking at things from all across the Marvel Universe. Uh, And then we also put characters on trial once a month where we have epic lengthy episodes uh, about particular characters over time. In fact, later today, I'm recording the trial of Fred J. Dukes the Blob. It's going to be really fun. Putting some shine on a character we don't see much of recently. Yes, I uh, I read his whole chronology and I have lots of opinions now. (laughs) I'm so excited to dive into that and... We're having you on this episode to discuss someone you have previously put on trial, and we're going to dive into that in just a little bit. Um, First, we need to get to know you a bit more and your involvement with Marvel. So did you know you can actually search your name on Marvel Unlimited? I did know that. Yes, and it does not show everything that you did. (laughs) (laughs) That's because Marvel Unlimited does not have everything. Uh, but you could go to Marvel Wikia and look up my name and there's like a little professional page. The uh, The most interesting thing about my time with Marvel um, is I wrote, I wrote for them for years, but I was still closeted and straight and Mormon at the time. So whenever you look at my bio on the site, it says I'm a Mormon guy who has a wife and children, which is a very, very <laughs> different a very, very different life than the one I have now because I stopped working for Marvel right around the time I came out, uh, which is uh, which is funny. So it's uh, a time capsule in that way. And uh, your work on the handbook and everything, what do you think is the most surprising thing you discovered while producing some of that content and uh, writing that up? Goodness, goodness. So I, uh, I was in college when I was writing fan fiction and uh, I've, I've been a Marvel fan for years and years, and I've always been kind of a completist. And there's a website out there called the Appendix of the Marvel Universe. I don't know if you've ever looked that up. It's, no, I uh, haven't. It's, it's marvunap.com. So M-A-R-V-U-N-A-P-P. And it's, uh, it's a, a website devoted to obscure Marvel characters run by a good friend of mine named Jeff Christensen, who... Uh, because of his kind of obsessive, incredible work on profiling obscure characters, he ended up getting this gig working for Marvel and became the editor over the handbook line working under Jeff Youngquist. Uh, and I was a frequent contributor to the appendix years back uh, and became known as kind of the defenders and the X-Men guy and then the Daredevil guy. Uh, and then I was writing fan fiction and they brought me into uh, to write for the handbooks from there, which was really a huge honor. And I ended up doing it for several years. Um, it was all remote. We had a team of people all around the country and they would assign a book and we would come up with the characters that would go into that book. And then each writer would have a specific number of characters that they were responsible for researching and then writing about. So some of the characters I was really passionate about uh, uh, Toad or the Owl from Daredevil oh. and others Others would be like characters I'd never heard of or spent time with like a lunatic which is 
L-U-N-A-T-I-K, who's like a, a weird Marvel cosmic guy. So uh, I think w- to answer your question, and I, I give you more information than you needed, uh, the, char- the stuff that would surprise me most was the stuff where you would see characters go through such vast changes, and then you would have to try to piece together why they went through these changes. You'd have a character who'd be a vigilante, but then a hero, but then a millionaire, but the, like you, they, they'd go through all these different shifts. Uh, I mean, Blob, Blob, and uh, the next trial we're doing after that is the Toad, who I'm in the middle of researching right now. Both of these are characters who show up every few years, and then they're a completely different character. Toad is the guy who ran the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, was the little evil guy with resin coming from his hands. But before that, he was the court jester who got smacked around by Magneto, right? So you, when, yeah. when you're, whenever you're trying to put together a character history or psychology, and put together their stuff over time, that's always the that was always the biggest challenge for me. But always the thing I was fascinated by the most as well. Um, and I'm treating, frankly, my podcast kind of like I would treat a handbook entry. Like all the continuity matters to me. Uh, yeah. That was a long answer. My apologies. <laughs> no, thank you. And I think you, when you were doing that work, it was a bit removed even from the the copies of the handbook that I would find at flea markets and things like that from the 80s where you'd find like volume five of update 89 or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and they put out a wonderful omnibus of the original one, I think a year ago. Or a year and a half ago and update 89 is coming out in print in omnibus format next month um and actually by the time this is airing update 89 omnibus is out i think so so, so my favorite marvel celebrity of all time if i had to choose one at the top of the list is mark grenwald and mark was the I and mean, he died very tragically very young years back but he was the guy that did the handbooks he had such a love for the marvel universe and all of the obscureness uh, and he would sit for hundreds of hours and write up these entries. And those th- these books we see from the 80s and early 90s were his brainchild. The series I worked on was the stuff in the, like the late 20 aughts mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like the like into kind of 2011, 2012. And even those have been caught in hardcover. But the characters all have another 10 years of continuity that you'd have to add it. It's, it's like an, a never ending project that always has to be updated. Right. But it's still so nice to go back there. And especially since you know, your podcast and ours is covering stuff that's been out for a while. And it's it's frozen in time. If you need a frame of reference for what is going on for a character up to a certain point, the handbooks are really invaluable as a resource to be able to revisit and say, okay, I'm going to the original run of handbook. So 1985, where was Cyclops by 1985? So I can understand what the writers were drawing upon at that time to form that character it's still so useful even though like you said they the characters continue to evolve and still will evolve from here on out so handy well i have heard from a thousand different writers obviously not a thousand but you know i i flip through the old handbooks and i find a character that i think would be fun or that hasn't been dusted off in a while i mean people use this as a very consistent resource do you know you asked me a minute ago daryl the biggest challenge now that i'm thinking about it was always where to slide in retroactive continuity uh Probably, I mean, Magneto is a great example of that. So much has been added to his early years later, but probably the most glaring example is uh, Captain America, who 
was uh, active during World War II for a period of what, three or four years. But every few years, modern writers will go back and tell stories of battles he had during World War II. And when you start stacking it up, like it's just this long volume of, 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 of continuity because there's always more being added. Where does this fit? How does it go in? Uh, and, and certain characters, it can become very obsessive and very complicated because there's that sliding time scale, right? Yep. Captain America was initially in the iceberg for 20 years, but at this point, it's been like 90 years. And at a certain point, it'll be 200 years that he was in that iceberg because there's always this fixed date in time and then this sliding continuity that moves forward from there. Yeah. And even him being frozen in ice is a retroactive continuity because Marvel in the 40s just dropped him. They're like, Ah, you know the war is over it's 1947 or whatever it was like what they played him out and they're like okay well we're just done with this captain america fellow and then in the 60s they're like oh wait 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 he was actually frozen and that wasn't the real captain america those last couple years so just well yeah it, it, they 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 uh they had a captain america in the 50s who was like a crazy angry guy uh who didn't act like the original cap the 60s, they brought him back to be in the Avengers. And I don't think it was until the mid-70s when Steve Englehart went back and said, oh, by the way, that guy in the 50s wasn't the, the other cap because he was in an iceberg. So they had to go in and like figure out why that character was there. So yeah, there's always more being added. And and, it, and it's always going to be that way. We just learned about another goddamn Summers brother, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's always going to be more... There's always going to be more added, which is part of the beauty of the sliding universe. I mean, Moira McTaggart, oh. Moira McTaggart of it all, right? <laughs> it's, it's always ever shifting. Yeah. I mean, she showed up and she was with Banshee back in the day and now she's wearing Banshee's face. So <laughs> she's she's had a time as a character. She has had a time, although it works uh, because I am the nerd that I am. I went back and read Moira's whole chronology and what Hickman, what Hickman did with her works. It fits. Yeah. Um, it does. Like when you want to put new tiles out, you have to rearrange everything that's already there and make it all work again. Yeah. It basically and is. It's a huge puzzle. That's trying, yeah. And it, taking what's on the table and figuring out how to work it in. Um, so speaking of a time, this issue came out in September 2006, and it's time for our pop culture pop-up, where we talk about um, some things that were going on in the world of pop culture during the publication month of this issue. So first off, the biggest thing, RIP to Steve Irwin. Uh, Steve Irwin left us. Oh. I know, uh, that, and it was a stingray, I yeah. think. Stingray, like... In the heart? Yeah terrible um but what he did for animal rights and everything was huge and just exposing young people to what animals were and how they sort of do their thing he was on cable though right yes yeah i think he's on the discovery channel so like many things in the pop culture pop-up i missed a lot of it but i do know who he is at least and how tragic it was and yeah and I think his daughter Bindi is now carrying the legacy, which is really cool. Like she's super into the conservation aspect. Yeah. He has a really cute son too. That's also doing it. I forgot his oh. name, but he's a cutie. Um, uh, something that we're going to touch on a little bit now, and she'll come up in a few months again. So prepare yourself, Philip. Okay. Anna Nicole Smith, she gave birth to her daughter 
And then her son died three days later, her like 20 year old son. It was very tragic. This is like, this is like the end of the Anna Nicole Smith saga. Like we are in end times for her and she didn't know it. And it makes it even more tragic. Resulting in her, resulting in her death and the commentary after the autopsy of her unremarkable asshole. Do you guys remember that? No. There was a, her, her, her autopsy was performed and they were trying to figure out how she died. And there was a note in it about, so the, the doctors, when they're doing autopsies will make like a, if there was nothing notable about something, they'll use the word unremarkable. And so <laughs> there was like news commentary about Anna Nicole Smith's unremarkable asshole. I remember it being in the headlines for weeks. <laughs> oh, it's really ridiculous and really sad. Yeah. Um, we had some changes with some anchors on some tentpole shows on the network. So first up, we have Katie Couric becoming the anchor of CBS Evening News. And that was really big. That was big. Um, because they had a temporary host after Dan Rather left. And then Katie Couric shifted from today. And taking her spot was Meredith Vieira. Oh. So um, Meredith Vieira has a career of trading up, I feel, in terms of things that she's done and then having a side hustle on the daytime who wants to be a millionaire it's true <laughs> um so good on her for getting on today because she held it down for quite a while on the today show as well the today show a favorite of sick days everywhere when yeah. you're when you wake up and you're sipping on some tea um the cw merged with upn so r.i.p upn yeah, Network of Voyager, DS9. I feel like that was a big deal. Yeah, and then we got a lot more CW-feeling shows, the teen dramas. And the superhero, or Smallville, which we talked oh. about in a previous episode. Yeah. I feel like that had a whole legacy. Yeah, and then eventually they would have a lot of more DC shows Yeah, in like 10 years after this. And climbing up the music charts, we have Buttons by the Pussycat Dolls featuring Snoop Dogg. <laughs> so um, loosen up the buttons. It... I think that was still in my email alternative phase. So. Oh, you're, but is it past your alternative ladies of the 90s phase? I'm perpetually in a new age ladies of the 90s phase. Okay. So, so that's what's good. <laughs> That's what's going on pop culture wise. Anything else stick out to you about 2006, Chad, that is like, oh, this happened? I have to think of where I was in 2006. I was just graduating uh, graduate school. Uh, I don't remember anything very specifically. I mean, there's always like crazy old politics and pop culture shit that if you go back, the interesting thing, uh, I'm rewatching Survivor with my children from the beginning. Oh. And the, the, the really interesting part about that is realizing how much the world is different in 2022 than it was just 20 years ago. Uh, like uh, we, we watched a scene yesterday and I think this season was filmed in like season 2005 so right around the same time and there's literally a guy who basically sexually assaults a girl I mean that's during a challenge and he he's naked and he rubs his genitals against her and she's very upset and she quits the show and all the contestants are like oh she's such a drama queen like why did she make such a big deal out of this and I'm like 
<laughs> watching this in 2022 does not feel the same as it did in 2005. It's a it's a very different world. Uh, so that's that's almost the most interesting thing is uh, the comic we're reviewing today was created during a time when the culture was very different. Uh, although it's still the same i don't know uh yeah i'm having all kinds of thoughts <laughs> yeah fair enough um there are a lot a lot of thoughts to happen about this time era and um i mean politically there's a lot going on we don't get into the politics of it all because it can be really depressing um but yes that definitely played a factor into everything we have going on in this book and it's issue nine and I hope, Chad, you can give us a short rundown because we are in the second of two issues of the Civil War tie-in with X-Factor. So um, what what did Civil War mean to you as a comics fan at the time? Goodness, goodness. So this is a time in Marvel, I feel like, where one event would slide into another event and then another and then another. Uh, this is like the Bendis era of comics when so much was going on and every year would be something else giant, right? Uh, so this, I mean, this issue is a great example of Peter David telling a very self-contained story in this wider contracts, a construct of a very complicated world. There was so much happening with the Avengers and the X-Men and everything else. Um, uh, so Civil War, I thought at the time was brilliant. Uh, um, it has some problems when you look back at it, but we basically have, if we're oversimplifying, Iron Man versus Captain America. Iron Man is trying to register superheroes so that they can be government agents, which in a way makes sense, right? We, you have to have a license to carry a gun as an example. So superheroes who have powers, uh, who are acting in law enforcement capacities. Uh, and then Captain America is the one saying, no, we don't wanna register. The government can be corrupt and we gotta protect people. What I loved most about Civil War is it brought up a lot of creative energy and we saw writers pulling in old characters right and left. And I love an obscure character. In this issue, we get Aegis as an example. Uh, so we see all these characters from all over the place being brought in. Uh, I remember Avengers The Initiative bringing in characters like Sunstreak and Gorilla Girl, who were like one-off characters from old comics years ago. And you're like, whoa, this is great. <laughs> uh, so that, that was my favorite part of Civil War is seeing all the old obscurity uh, show up. And then it gave a storyline or a template for people, uh, for characters to feel really polarized. For example, X-Factor making a stand against the X-Men in this issue. Yeah. Uh, I, th I thought we saw a lot of great stuff actually. Yeah, and even the cover, it's Civil War had a look to it. Every single tie-in had a very defined look, and it was a solid color with the same font for everything. Oh. And I remember in college, um, I heard about this, and I wasn't reading comics at the time, but I thought the concept sounded so cool because obviously I was going on to different sites, seeing what the nerd culture was, because I was definitely a nerd. and um everyone was talking about civil war so i bought everything on ebay relating to it like it was the complete civil war event in an ebay lot my senior year of high school so um the year after this so it was out for a year then i bought everything and i read the main series but i had no clue what was going on for any of the other titles and then i wound up just reselling everything because i was like i don't know what's going on 
Do I regret that now that I have short boxes filled with different stuff? Absolutely. Um, because it would be so interesting to go back because they haven't really, they published the trade paperback volumes for Civil War, but they didn't do a large collection oh. yet. So uh, to revisit it, at least we have Marvel Unlimited if we ever want to. So you can pop in and see what's going on. Um, the cover for this issue has a dartboard with a bunch of different references to uh, the team. So you have... Let me, let me yeah. say one more thing really quickly. Oh, yeah. Just uh, yeah. I was, I was going to expound for people who aren't familiar. Occasionally, Marvel will hire like a superstar. Hickman is an example, who will be put in charge of revolutionizing the whole thing. And during this era, Brian Michael Bendis could do no wrong for people. He did Ultimate Spider-Man and then he brought like Wolverine and Spidey into the Avengers. And then he just started launching events. House of M, which we see replications of here, which slid into Civil War, which slid into, oh God, I have to think of my memory, the initiative right after that, followed by Secret Invasion, followed by Dark Reign, followed by uh, what was the big Asgardian battle called? Uh, um not schism. There was a word for it. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, they like it was. It was just one giant event that would shape the whole universe after another. And Peter David, who's writing X Factor here, previously wrote X Factor years back, and he was so frustrated by all of the X Men events and how they kept trumping the stories he was trying to tell uh, that he quit the book eventually. Right. Uh, and here we see him getting wrapped up into event after event again and trying to weave X Factor into it. Because if you put that Civil War logo on the top of your cover, you sell more copies. Yep. And if you don't, yeah. then you don't. Uh, so this is a really great example of how to tie your series into the wider event and make it incredible. So I just wanted to say that. I hope that's okay. Yeah. And uh, even laying out the spreadsheet, and I'm sure you have a spreadsheet for your show as well. I mark what event it may be tying into and it's so surprising for this title how many events that peter david had to tie this title into even in yeah. the first 20 issues it is just all right you have these three issues that tie into this event and then you get two free play issues peter david and then you're back into another event so he i think he manages it very well though it touches on things yeah. it does not become consumed by the thing yeah, this issue feels very natural in its plot and the course of the, through the pages. Like it's not- I mean, late, oh, oh. sorry, please. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, I apologize. I was just gonna say Layla Miller comes right out of House of M herself, right? Like that's, that's he, he chose to bring this character and said, let's make her, let's make her huge. Yeah. Yeah, and when it started with Richter and his after effects from Decimation and House of M and everything, like, he's able to pull those threads together really well. And then in this issue, still manages to like get that polarizing, like one faction mutants against another faction, like you would expect for something involving the term civil war. But it all seems to make sense within the context of mutant town and within this small, oh, there's this word I can't- It's insular. Of. Yes. Yeah. Um... The cover does have a nod to most of our characters. Actually has all of them, now that I'm looking at it. We have Monet, who's been on the cover of Vanity Fair, so why is she rolling around in this slum with um, the team? And you can see why she's just mad about not being able to uh, take a bath in peace or something like that. Microcosm was the word I was looking for. Uh, 
And is, who is Breakfast of Champions? Is that Siren and Guido? It looks like, and we know yes. she, she, she does like a good breakfast. So it's true. Terry loves breakfast. And Guido has definitely had his Wheaties. Um, he's a strong guy. <laughs> there's an element of a definite culture that we don't have anymore with the cover of a TV guide with Madrox on it from when he was on Millionaire. I do like that the tear is right down his face and one side is slightly different than the other. And you're like, is that from the angle or is that a reference to the dupes being slightly different and like just very one note focused from what he's thinking at the time? And uh, the covers are still being done by Ryan Souk. Uh, Ryan Souk was the original artist on the title for the first couple issues and then they switched it up. Oh, that's right. And they addressed that in one of the letters pages back yeah. in those issues. But he definitely has the feel for this. And he sets the tone with each cover right now of uh, the noir setting and sort of what you can anticipate within the issue without giving too much away. Yeah. I mean, there's still some Layla it's... Miller because she knows stuff. And there's even a mutant registration act printout. Who is tossing darts at this dartboard? Is this meant to be Quicksilver, do we think? I can see it being him. Because yeah. we have uh, we have all these images of X-Factor put on a dartboard and someone's tossing darts. At yeah, them. and and Monet is on the dartboard. Otherwise, I would guess her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she wouldn't do that to herself. So I can see it being that or tying in um, perhaps to one of the trips or something like that. That's still an underlying issue. And we know that they're harboring a grudge. I so. could even see a depowered member of Mutant Town if there's still this resentment out there for X Factor and why aren't they doing enough? And then there's this registration act and that's sort of like, do I count? Do I not count consternation that, that could bring up? Yeah. I'd be super angsty. Uh, I wrote a comic book back in 2011 and uh, I just pulled it out because this is interesting. I didn't think of it till I reread this issue. So I wrote, I, I wrote a book called The Mushroom Murders. Uh, and the cover of my first issue is like the close-up of a police officer's desk with a bunch of like random evidence all screwed about. And I was like, ooh, this reminds me of my cover. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Which was kind of fun. I love I love uh, covers that make you take like a deep look and examine. This is a great cover. Yeah. And you asked a question I didn't even consider, which is who's behind throwing those darts? That's an excellent question. I think it's Quicksilver. And uh, Quicksilver, we saw him enter the building at the end of last issue. So we know shit's about to go down, but we don't know how it is. And there's a connection with Layla because she tried to get those guys to run him off, but he just powered one of them. Yeah. And came back anyway. So, uh, Chad, your thoughts on Quicksilver in this issue? Because he shows up and you had him on trial. This was covered as part of that trial. Um, and obviously we're not through all of Quicksilver's appearances in this book either, um, because he will be a feature for quite a while, a decent chunk of issues, Quicksilver keeps coming back. Uh, Quicksilver's complicated. Quicksilver is a character who has a superiority complex and like a streak of narcissism. Uh, we define him, if we're going to find sympathy, by someone who moves faster than the world around him. So he's constantly impatient with everyone else, right? He has a number of very complicated relationships. Uh, he's a character who it's hard for 
uh, hard to earn his loyalty, but when you do, you've got it forever kind of to the detriment of yourself because he often thinks he knows better than you, which is why he's always treating Wanda or his daughter or Crystal in a particular way. Uh, this is the worst of Quicksilver in this era. So uh, we, we reference it in this issue, but right before House of M, the superheroes are coming to kill Wanda, basically, and that, that is legit. And so Quicksilver convinces her to rewrite reality. Now she's responsible for it. It's her mental illness. It's her power. Uh, but he influences her. And then Magneto kills him in this other reality. And Wanda brings him back to life. But when the world is set back to normal, Quicksilver has no power. So you take a man who feels inferior, or excuse me, superior, and you make him inferior. And this is kind of like, I, I, when we did the trial, I kind of compared him to picture like a major politician who's super famous and has a major fall from grace. He's exposed. It's like Nixon post Watergate, uh, who he's the most powerful person in the world, but suddenly he has no power, no influence. And if you read Son of M, which comes just before this, and then Silent War, right? Quicksilver attempts suicide. Then he goes to uh, he goes to Adelan and steals their most sacred resource and murders someone in order to do it. And now he suddenly has power and influence again. And he is treating people like they are collateral. He is offering to destroy people. He tries to kill children. He is nuts and he is delicious. So this era of Quicksilver here is, is him at his worst and I it's, it's okay to swear on your oh, podcast. Absolutely. I fucking hate him. But <laughs> what Peter David does with him during this era of X Factor is so delicious. It's He's a great, compelling villain. Uh, and frankly, writers even now, 15 years later, are still trying to tell us why we should still quick care about Quicksilver. Because he was such an asshole in 2006. Yeah, I mean, he was, a, and we'll see more of this, Um destroyed utterly in terms of a sympathetic character um, but in the best possible way and you can see shades of this in our opening pages where he's not remorseful about things um not a bit no he and we're opening in the middle of a fight just shouting um and Richter's really worked up because of course Richter is depowered he's like you do it again what do you mean and Quicksilver's like, yeah, I'd do it again. Of course I would, because it achieved the goal I wanted. Regardless of what the impact was for other people. Yeah. Like, right. This is my favorite era of Richter. Oh. I love Richter in this series when he's depowered and super grumpy and morose and like figuring out what it means to be, be a hero without power. I love it. I think, I think it's super compelling. He's angsty. I can see him bumping lots of Avril Lavigne. And with any spending money he has, he's going to the Hot Topic and getting some like sweatbands for his wrists and everything. Cool. He's deep in his feels and it's okay for him to be there. I mean, he can go even angsty than that with some white stripes and... Oh. Yeah. Um... We're exposed to a power set that Quicksilver has, and this was alluded to last issue. With the Terrigen Mists and him, something is unstable, but he 
can power people. Yeah. And, and it doesn't end well for that person. And strong guy is hoisting him up. He's like, I know what happens when I touch people who don't have powers. Want to find out what happens if I touch someone who has powers? Um, it's just an incredible amount of power that he has. And he knows he has. Yes. And he looks so evil and arrogant in this. We're going to learn in a few issues. I hope it's okay. He has the Terrigen crystals embedded in his chest. And he's kind of grotesque and he's hiding, but he's like really latching on to this like God complex. Because if he lets it go, he's going to wither away into nothing and go back to being suicidal again. Uh, but yeah, he looks at X Factor as if they are like tools to be used or or uh, or peons beneath his feet. He's very 60s Magneto here, actually. He is. <laughs> and the one person who's not having anything is Monet. She is shoving it right back at him calls him a pompous clown <laughs> and uh, when he tries to like cozy up and be like oh you remind me of me when i was young and she was like and then you took a shower right like but he says nothing. he says you remind me you remind me of me when i was young full of piss and vinegar and then she says well then you showered i hope basically <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you're not still says, coated in vinegar which is gross <laughs> <laughs> um and in the midst of this fight they turn to jamie and they're like what are we gonna do uh what side are we on like we're in the midst of this civil war um and you had a great panel with everyone looking directly at him and him just sort of withering almost under it like he's holding his head in his hands looking side to side scratching up his face and he just pieces out <laughs> which i can't blame him I love uh, Dennis Calero's pencils in this issue. He's got this like very noir style, but his facial expressions and his characters are so distinct from each other. Like Siren looks Irish and Monet looks uh, looks uh, Algerian. I don't know if that's the right uh, phraseology. Uh, Wolvesbane looks Scottish. Like you can see the, their, their character uh, development through the way he portrays them in pencils. And I think it's gorgeous. I think it's beautiful work. Yeah. And I feel like we've commented on the expressions that they have either off to the side or like those side glances that may not otherwise have been included, but like tells a lot in just a look. Those yeah. have been really good. Yeah. Madrox has interactions with Layla Miller where he's discussing with her, you, you knew about this, right? She does know stuff. My favorite running gag so far. Yeah, Philip had never read X Factor. And um, this is his first time going through it. And I went about 50 or 60 issues in on my previous read. So we'll get to a point where I don't know anything that's going on either. But it's so one. Philip, Philip, do you know why she knows stuff? Um, I learned a little bit more from this episode that she came from some other reality of sorts. But then she has this power of like, she knows how things are supposed to turn out so she can figure out what button to push to make that result happen so there's a reason for all that i'm not going to spoil it because it's actually a huge revelation in a future issue but yeah no what you're referencing is during house of m when everything was rewritten uh layla in this reality grew up in an orphanage with no parents but in house of m it was meant to re like alter reality where characters could have more of their fondest dreams realized and in that reality she had parents but she was also kind of the character who knew this is not what reality is supposed to be something's off here uh so yeah you've got a lot to learn about her in the future but i won't spoil it because peter david does masterful work with her in the future 
because I'll probably have to go back too because one of the lingering questions I have about her is how does she have such a line to Cyclops like you think of the X-Man I mean who's not Nate Summers um, but the X-Man and this little girl has a line up to him and they chat like they know each other well or like they've been through stuff and so I'm curious to uh, examine that at some point. I think I think the only tie in there is that the X-Men recognized that she had some impact on reality being restored. Oh, okay. Yeah, and you'll see more as we go on. As Chad said, the character development of her and everyone else is fantastic in this series. So you'll get to know a lot more about her. And in the, the opening page where it gives like a little synopsis of things that happened before, Layla Miller has a had a face-to-face with Quicksilver outside X-Factor headquarters, but wasn't especially astonished because naturally she knows stuff. Yeah. So like there's this, or as more as it is, like the applications of comedy in it are so good and like consistently so good. What was your reaction, Philip, when at the end of their interaction, Layla said that she and Madrox are going to be married? I loved his facial expression of just like, ooh. <laughs> so do you, will that come to pass? With your knowledge of Layla Miller, do you think that's going to happen? Well, because you said that they do when I've read X-Corp, so. Oh, um, the recent X-Corp did tip the hand that they had a baby. Yes, but not. But you don't know how at this point. I don't know how she ages up for that to be an appropriate relationship. Okay, we'll get there. They definitely cover that. So I know things. I know stuff. Oh, look at you, Mr. <laughs> Layla Miller over there. But I also really like, the, really like the, there's a cab coming around the corner. Like, you can get rid of me if you want to. And he just stands there like another embodiment of his indecision. Yeah, Chad, could you walk us through, uh, so uh, Jamie is continuing on his walk, but then he runs into someone. So uh, could you walk us through this part of the book? Yeah, so recently on my podcast, we interviewed Jay Ferber, who was a delightful writer who did a lot of Generation X and New Warriors stuff back in the day. And we even, we talk about it briefly, but he even had a couple of classic mutant characters on his New Warriors team, which is New Warriors Volume 2, which is not remembered fondly by a lot of people uh, it's not the greatest series ever, but it's fun. One of the characters introduced in Jay Ferber's New Warriors is the character Aegis, who is A-E-G-I-S. He is a teenager named Trey Rollins who's involved in some like gang violence in the streets. And he finds a Greek artifact that uh, basically gives him some form of superpowers, which he then uses to create shields and uh, he has a series of adventures with the new warriors and then he kind of fades into obscurity. So uh, again, during civil war, we see all these characters being brought back. Uh, uh, So yeah, we see Aegis here. He's running down the street. He's in his superhero uniform. Uh, Madrex runs into him and they are being pursued by the superhuman registration act enforcers, which were, known uh, as the cape killers uh to people who did not support them uh so they're running from cape killers uh jamie madrox uh layla warned him to wear a hat and a scarf and some gloves earlier so he got those on and then he creates a whole bunch of duplicates of himself all of which are wearing hats and scarves which if i was madrox i would get a hundred dollar bill <laughs> 
<laughs> and then replicate myself a whole bunch of times yes. and just leave the money on the floor and then re, uh, yeah. re, re absorb the others. Uh, anyway, so he allows Aegis to help escape from, uh, from the superhuman registration force. And there's a great panel of Madrox reabsorbing all of his dupes at once. And the power of it knocks him down the stairs, which is just delicious. Uh, so again, I love obscure characters. So I remember even in 2006, like, oh my God, that's Aegis. Yay. That's, uh, makes me happy. And even the act of him falling down the stairs then causes him to <laughs> duplicate himself on each step. Um, it, so you get more dialogue boxes from each of them of being like, <laughs> get off. And, and well, you guys have probably talked about this some, but Peter David back then, uh, if you if you don't notice this, reread and look at it. He created each dupe to have a slightly different emotional state, and he used a different font for each character. So every time one of Madrox's dupes is speaking, it's in a different font that will match whatever version of his personality is being knocked out of him, which yeah. is really fun. Yeah, that attention to detail is wonderful, but also obscene. Like that that is fantastic attention to detail that not many people if they just read the issues would pick up on because it's slight font differences it is not extreme unless he really wants you to notice it in different issues yeah like i read that i knew that it was a thing but most of the time i glance over it especially because some of the other issues that i've read recently were just such good page turners where the main plot sort of superseded any curiosity I had for side details. And you'll notice this uh, through a lot of comics history, there'll be certain color palettes used for particular characters more than others, or certain sound effects and the shape of them or the color backgrounds behind those sound effects are different. Leah, Leah Williams does this with her art team uh, during her recent X Factor run as an example, but it takes a lot of like nuance and looking. You're experiencing it while you're reading without really thinking about it, which is the goal, right? You, you don't yeah. wanna have to lost in it, but when you break it down, you realize how much work they're putting into the craft. Yeah. So uh, Pietro is looking at an office space that's for rent. He gets confused with Maximus, which I feel like is a tie back to his Adelan experiences. Yeah, I, and no one likes Maximus. No, I mean, we have very strong feelings about him just based off a of video game. True. So, yeah. And then we see the X-Men. They're showing up. But, but we have to we have to note very quickly. Okay. So the woman calls him, the woman calls Pietro Mr. Maximus, and he says, Maximoff. Maximus is an inhuman madman with delusions of power. And she goes, Oh, right. I'm sure no one would think such a thing of you, which is such delicious <laughs> writing. It's so good. And the X-Men show up. So I think for a mainstream reader who is trying to get into this, you're sort of waiting. When are the X-Men going to pop by for a cameo? And here they are. And oh, the the design on Beast. Those pants, I don't quite know how they stay up. No, they're very high-waisted. <laughs> and high-hipped. Yes. To get that X look like up to his pecs on the sides i don't know i i would boot that look <laughs> um this is the this is the astonishing x-men era of this team or that version and beast in that series looks pretty good actually in this costume uh but i as much as i love the art here the the portrayal of beast here is not flattering <laughs> yeah and that always 
it well not always it can happen when you have an artist drawing a different team that they're not typically assigned to because they have to try to get that vibe down in just a few panels whereas the experienced artist on the title they have it for months and months and months so they make it work yeah they know how to draw their characters mm -hmm. at that point i mean kitty pride looks like she's 50 years old in this image i <laughs> straight up i have not read astonishing yet and I did not know who that was until maybe the final page where she appears in this issue. I'm like, oh, that's supposed to be Kitty. Oh, because it, there's not a whole lot that you can identify from her, that character to know who she is. You have no clue. You know that it is a female X-Man. And um, then I think it was the interactions she had with Colossus that tipped it off for me. This era of astonishing X-Men uh, that this this team comes from is written by Joss Whedon. Like, super, Ooh. super high level of talent. This is the Buffy the Vampire Slayer guy, right? Yep. Like, oh, over, you don't over have a team of Buffy. And Dollhouse. Ultimately, ultimately, although there's a lot of consequence that happens in Joss Whedon's run, it, it doesn't really hold up with a lot of our favorites or classics. I do like the look for Cyclops and Colossus. I like those outfits. Yeah. Um, so they show up. Quicksilver's like, a woman's going to exit. Please don't harm her. Like, he knows <laughs> this is like, dollars to donuts is going to end badly for everyone. So trying to at least do one nice thing and get her out. But also in a way that makes it, the X-Men sound like jerks. Mm -hmm. Like a way to stick it to well, the X-Men have been jerks. So the reason X-Factor is so pissed at them here is because they found out the X-Men knew about House of M and they've been lying about it. They've kept it a secret. So the decimation happened and the X-Men knew why, but they didn't tell anybody. So the X-Factor has a right to be pissed. Yeah, that reveal when X-Factor shows up and then Richard's like, yeah, I called you in so that we could have this conversation because you've been ignoring us in any other facet of communication. Like that was real good. And it's very surprising when the teams confront one another. Well, before this, we have Layla interacting with a couple of the X-Men. Yeah. With that, like, degree of familiarity and that I thought was interesting. Yeah. And she even references the other reality. I I, I want to see, like, Emma Frost interact with Layla because I think she would find her charming. But all of the adult men are like, oh, this annoying teenage girl who knows everything. <laughs> They're so yeah. upset by her all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and Emma is referenced in here, but not seen. Right. So she's part of the team. Right. Great. And um, after Layla interacts, the teams are confronting one another. And this is where X Factor is really sticking by Quicksilver, who in the previous volume of X Factor had been a member of the team. And he's sort of one of their own even though they even say he may or Teresa says he may be a slime ball he may be a totally evil monster but he didn't pretend to be our friend and he didn't lie to us can you say the same yeah it, that little dash of comedy in the side of where Quicksilver says you know I can hear you right <laughs> <laughs> like just these little inserts are just so good yeah, the X-Men are after Quicksilver. They are like, nope, it, we need to bring him basically to justice. Is that right, Chad, with the larger 
overall narrative of yeah i mean they're looking to but eventually they kind of just leave him alone and nobody realizes at this point quicksilver has this power to pop back and forth through time which we'll see explored in a little while but he can he can pop back in time and talk to himself and tell him what's going to happen and then pop back again so he's, he's got a lot going on right behind the scenes here he also recently forced his six-year-old daughter to undergo teragenesis against her will which is so awful it's one of the worst things he's ever done uh, so we'll see, we'll see Luna in the book in a little while, but yeah, this, again, this is Quicksilver at his worst. They're after him for a reason. Uh, a lot of people blame him directly for House of M and we see that here too. He's like, they were going to murder my sister. That's why I did what I did. Yeah. The team confrontation. Siren sort of lays out Colossus and then Cyclops is like, well, I guess we are going to do this the hard way and does a blast. And Jamie has this, like, I wish I could do this in kickball at some point, like, make a catch, like, how Jamie is diving into this panel. It goes to intercept the beam, and, like, he knows enough about his power, about how, like, it takes an impact or, like, some sort of energy release in that way to create a dupe, and then Cyclops is just giving him a whole buffet of energy. And there's a whole bunch of dupes that come out of it <laughs> as Jamie is, like, brushing the cinders off of his coat. So he's like, well, with what army are you going to do this? Mm -hmm. that, dupe, that dupe on the right looks like he's getting ready to flash somebody in a park. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, or he's got some watches in there to sell you. <laughs> that, that's a I love. Well, and I love, again, how David portrays this, but every dupe looks like it has an individual personality and facial expression and characteristic which is not something we get with jamie in other eras he just looks like a copy of himself over and over yeah i'm glad that they didn't give him a cowl because i feel like some of how like the whole face look is helpful for discerning the moods do you see any that you would be like oh yeah that would be me in this crowd hmm i and probably the one right in the middle with his hand on the guy's shoulder. I'm like very determined and not going to put up with anybody's shit. That's mm. probably me. Okay. Nice. I think I'd be second to the left with like, what's happening here? I'm just going to observe from the side for a little bit to get my bearings. Yeah. I, and I'm near to the middle with my chin lifted. Like what's going on over there? Like I'm going to let this first string take everything, <laughs> but I'm going to be real interested so I can figure out the situation. You would be like Nick and up periscoping. Yes, our bunny, when he explores something, it's hind legs, ears up, what's going on? Is there the team shot, the team shot of X Factor on the bottom of the next page is gorgeous too. Manet is bored and <laughs> Siren is pissed. I, like I, again, the amount of individual character and facial expression that the artist puts into each character is wonderful. Yeah, and they end up telling the X-Men to pound sand. It, and it, I feel the X-Men know it's not worth it. It We're not having this battle right now. We'll deal with this later. I mean, Wolverine wants to fight, but he always wants to. And I just don't like Wolverine. No. <laughs> this is also an era, when you put this in kind of a real-world context, they are in Mutant Town. So this is a city that uh, embraces diversity and in one area of the town we saw mutants living as fully realized versions of themselves until the decimation 
And there's an era, I'm, I'm perhaps overstretching the parallel, but it's almost comes across like uh, the energy that I picture in this community here would be New York City is thriving and there's an active gay culture, but then the AIDS crisis hits and everything shuts down and it's all ghost towny again, right? So X Factor is living in that space. We are here. This is ours. Get the fuck away. You don't belong here. You lied to us. Uh, there, there's an element of uh, self-protection here that I think is gorgeous. Um, and it's it's subtle, but the 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 fact that David chose to put this in uh, in Mutant Town or the the former thriving Mutant Town uh, is is very poetic. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. It speaks volumes to them uh, having a sense of belonging and the caretaking aspect as well. That this is our turf. No, you can't just come in here and do your X Men thing and think that you can tell us how to run things and which of us is valued and why so yeah it's a good parallel and we leave the cliffhanger for this book is you know it rain asking jamie did we just win and he's like i have no clue yeah i don't know and that it sets up future possibilities for the X-Men to come in and what those interactions would look like because you have no sure footing with the main X-Men team. You don't know where this team stands with them other than it's a bit adversarial and the X-Factor is going to do what it does for a while. And it's good. Well, and it's a, oh, go ahead. It's good that's a different type of cliffhanger where you still are thirsting to find out more, but it's not quite the same, like visceral, like attack on siren sort of cliffhanger, but it's still one where you're, you get to the end and you're just like, ooh, so much is in limbo. What's, what does this mean? What are the implications? Like it's, the series is still making you thirst for the next issue. Uh, well, and Jamie, Jamie just told off Cyclops, man. He's the military general. He is Professor X in this era. He's the he's the big guy. And Cyclops parts with like a dire fuck you warning, right? Like we're gonna be yeah. watching you. We will be watching Quicksilver. You slip up, it's gonna come crashing down. I will not come to your rescue. And so that like final panel of Jamie, like holy shit, what did we just do? There's some resonance there. I think it's great. Yeah, and there's no no sense of backup. Like it's just them. There's no. Like in case of emergency, call Marauders to come pick you up. Like <laughs> they, they made the And if you did call the Marauders in 2006, it's going to be a bunch of sinister clones who will murder you. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so maybe not them. <laughs> no, modern day mar Marauders. Yeah. Although with now Cassandra Nova, she still might murder you. She might. All right. So, what are our overall feelings on this issue? Uh, I love this era of X Factor. I think it's a really smart story. I think it's a beautiful bridge of everything that came before and what builds after. And you're getting into the Renato Arlem art right after this, which is so gorgeous. When you guys continue with the next issue, uh, I love this era. It's one of my favorite eras of X Comics of all time. Fantastic. I thought it was so, a really so good smart, so smart choice for podcast. <laughs> Thank you. And we're going to have you back. Um, because you are really focused on obviously X-Men and X titles. Um, we're going to draw you in when 
maybe someone from the Fantastic Four appears a little later on too. So give you an outlet to talk about someone who's not an X-Man or X-affiliated. I have a lot of feelings about Sue Storm. I will be happy to talk about her anytime. <laughs> I seem to really feel that way, have some sort of feels about her. Yeah. So um, this was a great issue. I think people should really dig into it and yeah. um, see how it touches on Civil War, but isn't really all about Civil War. It's really more about a war between the mutants or that line being drawn between X Factor and the X Men. Yeah. In a real, it's very well done. Yeah. Like that's a th- narrow needle to thread, but Peter David does it. Yeah. Peter, Peter, Peter David is at like the top of his game right now. Yeah. In, the, in this era, it's gorgeous, gorgeous work. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Chad. It's been so fun to chat with you for an hour about anything we wanted to, really. So um, where can people find you? And we are in, you know, mid to end of May. What can we look for from Gray Malkin Lane? We've got some big stuff coming up on Gray Malkin, always. Uh, I'm booked all the way out through like midsummer at this point, which is amazing. Uh, we're slowly growing. If you haven't checked us out, we would love the support. Leave us some reviews. And uh, uh, we're building just a little community here. And I'm so glad to be part of your community back. Uh, I definitely consider you guys part of mine. Uh, on uh, on Gray Malkin, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Malkin PP like podcast or just Gray Malkin Lane on Instagram. And uh, right before this episode comes out, the trial of the blob that I'm recording today will be released just before that. We uh, we have a lot to say, uh, followed by an episode featuring uh, Steve Fox. Uh, and uh, we're going to be reviewing uh, X-Men 43. Uh, the next episode after this one, I have uh, several drag queens coming on and we're going to talk about body positivity in comic books. So <laughs> just awesome. a smattering of random things that are all delightful. Uh, we're having a great time. And I love listening to each episode of your podcast. It is the day it downloads. I have to play it. Even if it's a work from home day, I'm like, I guess I need an excuse to like do some chores so I can listen to a podcast so I can catch I, up with what's happening on Gray Malkin Lane. I appreciate your support so much. We're, uh, well, the, the day after recording tomorrow, we're releasing an episode with Elena Casagrande, who's an Italian artist that worked on Black Widow and it's a it's a really fun interview. So yeah, check it out. Uh, and thank you for your support and for all the times you come and guest. I love having you on always. Yeah, thanks for always including us in your consideration to come on your show too. So um, absolutely, everyone, go over, get involved with Gray Malkin Lane, and learn lots. Yeah, there's so much to learn. <laughs> um, not only from reviewing the issues that you do chad but also your interviews are so insightful with the creators um it it's really cool i really appreciate the vibe that you have going so thank you so much uh, you're doing great work here too i uh, I, I think you're both incredible well thank you so everyone make sure to uh, also when you're following gray malkin lane on the socials pop on over to our Instagram X Factor Files podcast give us a follow right after you follow chad so you can see what's going on in our world as well. And we will catch you on our next episode. 